Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. I'm so excited to share I just released my online course. The Easy Peasy Public Speaking Makeover Series will not only help you overcome your fear, but will help you shine. The first module, Overcoming Your Fear of Public Speaking, is always free. If you are willing to improve in this area, just click on the link in the show notes or go to www.connectioncounselor.com. Here with us today is Oksana Esberard, Chief Mindfulness Officer of Satva Me. Oksana is a certified business meditation instructor, mindfulness speaker, and consultant. Through her company, she works with business leaders, HR professionals, and executives, installing mindfulness practices in the workplace to deliver enhanced performance, cohesive teams, and cultural alignment. Welcome, Oksana, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Hi, Joe. Pleasure to be here. So we have a friend in common, Sarah Elkins, and she actually, in a way, indirectly got me into podcasting, so I owe her a debt of gratitude, and I'm really excited to meet her and you in person in just a few days at the Atlanta conference, No Longer Virtual. Likewise, yes. I was there last year, and it's an event not to miss. Looking Great. forward to seeing Sarah again and meeting you. Great. I got the sense from your bio and your website that travel has really been a big part of your life. And I was wondering, how has travel influenced the, your perspective and your personal development? Oh, you're right. Originally, I'm from Russia. So that's already been a travel. I am born and raised in Russia. And I think I got the travel bug since I was... Um, since I was little, I just wasn't able to express it because I was born in the Soviet Union and the borders were closed. I got my first out-of-the-country travel um, when I was at the age of 16. I came to the United States for a year, and there the world kind of expanded. You know, that you live in your tiny place and you're surrounded by your environment, and all of a sudden you have this opportunity to see different things. So the way the world um, travel shaped me is getting different perspectives, um, being more diverse in the way I was thinking, the more in the way I was perceiving things. And it's just fascinating to learn different cultures and different views and how people do things differently. Yeah, I think that's so great and so amazing the the impact that it can have on on someone. And I had read somewhere that it's a real great gift if you're able to do that to to travel with uh, your children. It's a great gift for them to sort of expand their perspectives. Absolutely. I think it adds so much more to the emotional, mental development for children and adults. So it's, it's our natural innate curiosity that we satisfy when we're able to see different places and explore. And we all have that little child that wants to explore the things. It, it, it fits that. Excellent. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better. So tell us what you do, but explain it to us as if you were talking to a five-year-old. In a nutshell, I work with companies inside. I work with people inside the companies to bring more presence, peace, productivity to their lives. I bring practices and the tools for them to feel less stressed, more energized, and enjoy what they do with more ease. More ease, less stress. I think all of us could use that. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Great. Well, I am so excited to have you here today, and let me tell you why. Um, I first came across meditation and mindfulness when I started training in Aikido, and one of the funny things I noticed after I had gotten into it a while was a lot of the benefits I was experiencing was actually outside of the dojo, so outside of the physical training aspects. It was really in my personal and, and work life. I could notice uh, a shift, and it was just so uh, beneficial to me. And I think it's really great that you're bringing that sort of practice uh, and that shift to people in the workplace. Tell us a little bit about when you realized that, that this was your passion and your path. Sure. Well, first, I want to acknowledge that, yes, this practice is really, it's not about the practice itself. Practice is a preparation for what is happening in the, wor in the world and how you pursue life and work. And practice is there to prepare so we less react and more able to respond. And just with like any practice, you do that before the actual event. Um, the way I got into mindfulness and meditation is actually by chance. I did not ever plan to practice nor teach. I did not know. I did not know these words when I used to live in Russia. I, um, as I was progressing with my life, I was relying on these tools as self-help and personal development and personal improvement. Through a series of events, I ended up going to India as I was going deeper and deeper into the practice and wanted to study from the source, from the origin and the source. And little did I knew that what I signed up as a simple yoga teacher's training, I thought I'll learn about the poses and what's the history behind them. But it was a huge transformational experience for me. I was in the lowest Himalayas um, in India, and I spent almost a month there. And I literally became a different person. Uh, when I came back, I had two questions. Would it work for people that have never been to India? Because it's really easy. I mean, it's not really easy. It's easier to submerge yourself once you are outside of your own environment. Um, and also, would it work for people that did not practice before, that did not have that bug to wanting to learn these tools? So I offered business meditation to a business community in Miami, in downtown Miami, in the co-working space where I was working that time, mm -hmm. uh, without really expecting anything. I just wanted to practice myself and test it on other people and see would it work? It was, it was a curiosity bug. And I did not expect the result that people were sharing with me. They literally brought me to tears. And I wow. found the passion. It was something that I've never experienced before. I'm originally hospitality, business development, sales professional. And like many of us, I, I liked what I do, but I didn't see the deeper meaning inside. It was more of a training and career development and career path. And here, the first time in my life, I actually fell in love and I felt the passion and I felt the meaning behind what I do. So researching a little bit on um, the business aspect of it, I realized there's huge potential in both ends and um, about six to eight months later, I decided that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Wow, great story. What I love about that is that, you know, you say you kind of fell into it, you never meant to, but what I heard is you actually took the plunge with that first kind of seminar that you did for people. I mean, how many people think like, oh, this is great, I'd love to share it, but they don't really, you know, not honestly make the effort, but they don't actually go ahead and, and try it and put themselves out there. And I think it's just uh, such a wonderful part of your story that you kind of had the courage to do that 
Uh, and then from there, it's all the business development, all the usual things that, you know, people don't talk about. But I think that's a really uh, great part of your story that, that you had the courage to go out and do that. Thank you. Well, uh, accountability piece of it really helped. Um, as you, as with any practice, you know that sometimes it dies out. You do something out of your passion, but then you actually need other people to push you when you don't feel like it. So this was my way to hold myself accountable for the days where maybe I don't feel like I want to meditate or maybe I'm not in the mood or life gets in the way. So um, I wanted to hold myself accountable on a totally different level. It definitely, definitely did the trick. Now I'm in a life. <laughs> All right, great. Well, sometimes what we think is happening is the most important thing rather than what's actually happening in reality, which this next comedic scene illustrates it's okay guys it's just a wreck ricky can handle it now that's one of the nastiest wrecks you'll ever see oh no 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 oh it's all right to say you're safe we got you oh, fire. i'm a fire okay. oh. it's all right you're not on fire i knew it you're lying there is no fire come back here but something looks wrong i mean he's running around like like he's on fire? Oh my God, help me, I don't wanna die! Oh, stop, stop and roll! You're not on fire, Ricky Bobby! I'm on fire! You're not on fire! But I'm not even sure he even knows where he's at right now. Oh, this makes us all realize the kind of pressure these drivers are under. Mr. Bobby, come on down here! Help me, Jesus! Help me, Jewish God! Help me, Allah! Tom Cruise! But how did he get down to his underwear that fast? Tom Cruise used a witchcraft on me to get the fire off me! Look, here, Hutt's coming. Wait a it's, minute. It's Cal Norton. Oh, God! Please don't let the invisible fire burn, my friend! He's jumping on Ricky trying to put the non-existent fire out. Now, that's a teammate right there. This is going downhill fast. It I is. think it'd be a great time to go to commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a typical example of how our mind can get tricky and if we don't use mindfulness to get present and to get grounded into what the reality of the situation we're really running like with our heads on fire and it's funny that you picked this segment because um, sometimes I start my presentation with the opening question what if your office was on fire, your office or home was on fire, would you consider, oh, wow. would you continue business as usual? And most of the people are kind of like, no, there, there was at least sometimes there's someone like, yeah, I'll, I'll finish what I do and then I'll go and address. <laughs> so that's an extreme case. But the majority of people um, rationalize that they, they would address it, right? They, that they mm -hmm. would not do something that they would do something about um, fire before they continue their ordinary activities. Um, however, in real life, that's not really what happens. And the analogy of fire is the stress. We get so caught up into mm -hmm. us being busy, into us um, overachieving, into us pushing our limits. How many people try to work when they're sick? How many people working on the vacation? So um, that mental fire or imaginary fire, it's, it's constantly pushing us um, beyond the limits of what is necessary and typically jeopardizing our health and the well-being and the other aspects of life. Yeah, and I imagine when you do that, 
it's in the service of some sort of performance or something you're trying to accomplish. But what's a little bit uh, ironic about it is you're actually more often than not, you're hurting your overall performance and health. Uh, you're, you're, you're not able to be your best when, you know, you're not dealing or letting that stress sort of go out. I imagine you see that with a lot of your clients. Well, that is the illusion of conditioning. Um, since uh, look, look at our children, look at our society, especially in the Western world, but Eastern kind of catching up to that too. The overachievement at all costs is praised. We push our kids since the age of three now to be the best in the kindergarten, to complete the school, all the little badges and stars and everything. That is training the overachievement at all costs. Um, and the disconnect between our personal well-being and what is valued in society that creates very strong imbalance and conditioning on people. So I would say that it's, it, it's becoming not really a choice. It's not what people consciously choose to do. It's becoming a habit. And yes, it is detrimental for health. And what I am striving is to bring awareness back into the reality that, yes, if you give yourself active break, if you give yourself a slack, you will be more productive. You will multiply time. And you will actually save time on making less mistakes, being sharper, and having stronger relationship with yourself and with others. What I think is really insightful about what you're saying, Oksana, is that that idea of the conditioning, like the people aren't even aware that they're doing this. It's just, it's like a fish doesn't know it's in water, right? And they're just going yeah. about and they're like, of course, this is the way I'm supposed to respond. They don't even realize uh, that there's another option, a, a better option in terms of their health and, and their performance. Yes, this fire is real. The, the fire that even though it's funny for us to watch and it's imaginary and sometimes you can see it on other people, when mm -hmm. it comes to doing it yourself, it's hard to notice because exactly you're right. You are in it. You are start not noticing that you are in the water when you are in the water. And the practices of mindfulness and meditation do exactly that. They bring awareness of um, your conditioned behaviors, of your patterns. Because once you slow down and you start noticing them over and over and over and over, eventually something clicks and it becomes an aha moment of something that always been there. Great. It's fascinating to me how our own minds can often get in our way. So let's take a look at an example of this. This for you. Too many mind. Too many mind? Hi. Mind the soul. Mind the people what? Mind the enemy. Too many mind. No mind. No mind. So, Oksana, what did you get from this uh, from this clip? Well, it's actually a very interesting and accurate description of another aspect that I do through my workshops and seminars. 
um, the aspect of going beyond the mind. People usually think that there's only one mind that we are dealing with, and that's the voice in our head. So first of all, mind is brain and action. So our brain fires up on, a, on electrode level and neurons level, but then the interpretation and that voice that, that we con conceive inside our head, that is what we call the mind. And there are actually at least three minds that I would touch up on today. Um, it's the conscious mind. It's everything that you are aware of. It's our analytical mind, the logic mind that creates a separation between what is the external environment tells us and what we allow ourselves to sink in. And then there's subconscious mind. That's actually where our habits, behaviors, um, the patterns that we just talked about reside. So usually when people talking about mind, they take into account the conscious mind that we're used to, something that we're constantly aware of. Um, however, in order to sync the behavior and change the pattern, you need to address the subconscious mind because if they're in conflict, if all these three are not aligned and they're in conflict in some way or the other, then you will not change the behavior. And the example of it is New Year's resolution. How many times we've decided that we are going to follow through that exercise routine or we're not going to be eating certain foods or we'll take on some behaviors to see our family members more often. And then usually it wears out after a couple of weeks to a few months. Why? Because consciously we've decided. We really paid it. We're not going to lie to ourselves. Right. But our subconscious had some kind of conflict there, some belief that could arise from the family time, from the childhood um, or anything that we adapted as, um, as part of the society, that that's not acceptable rule. Maybe eating a cake is soothing. It, it soothes emotional trauma that has happened. So that conflict um, would not be addressed if we are keeping in our logical mind only. That's why the practices of, especially meditation, um, the meditation is a practical aspect of mindfulness, in meditation, we strive not to really clear the mind. Have you heard sometimes when people say like, oh, I cannot meditate because I cannot clear my mind. They keep thinking. Right, right. Too much thinking going on. Yeah, too much I'm, I'm not going to yeah. be able to do it. Exactly. Well, the goal is not to empty the mind. The goal is to actually go beyond the mind, meaning that on the brainwave level, our brainwaves, whenever we are thinking, they're, they're faster when we start to slow down, the same process as when we are winding down to go to sleep, our brainwaves start to slow down. And that's where we can go into deeper levels of subconscious and then be below the analytical and logical mind. And that's what's called no mind zone. So that's where you actually, it's not like you're quieting your mind. You actually go below the one level below it. So there's nothing to quiet anymore. It's quiet by definition. Mm -hmm. So this, this um, segment of no mind reminded me of, of that aspect that um, we usually overlook, um, basically because there's not enough education. It's not something that you read or hear in the news um, about the, the brain waves and the mind. So that's why I believe that education about mindfulness and meditation in the workplace is so important. So people can at will change their brainwaves. It's a trainable skill. It's not something that is reserved for certain magical experiences. You can train yourself just like the way you're going to sleep every night or waking up. So what I really like about what you're saying here is, you know, and to use your New Year's resolution example, which I, which I really enjoyed. If you think about it the way you're talking about it, it's not so much that like you're lying to yourself or you don't have the willpower. It's that there's a different part of you that you haven't realized and that you haven't accessed that is 
literally like, well, not literally, but figuratively fighting against you, right? It's, it's getting in the own way because part of your mind wants to do one thing, but perhaps like a subconscious, more powerful part of you wants to do something else. And those two are in conflict. And oftentimes the, the subconscious part wins out despite all the logic and thinking and, and willpower of, of, of the conscious mind. Um, well, it's not oftentimes, it's all the time. Our the subconscious time. is way more powerful than our conscious mind. Yeah. Because subconscious is responsible for your heartbeat, for your breathing, for all the systems around. It's, um, when, I, when I do my um, seminars, um, I always ask, um, our conscious mind can process about 40 stimuli per second. How much do you think our subconscious can process? Mm-hmm. I don't know. How many? A billion? <laughs> <laughs> well, about 20 million. Wow. So 40 versus 20 million, that is a lot of things that, um, that is a lot of power that we are underestimating. Our subconscious is the most powerful computer known on earth right now. We have not been able to replicate it yet. And I think I had heard the analogy somewhere um, where, you know, our, our conscious, or our ego is like the rider on an elephant, right? And, and we think we're telling the elephant where to go. But if the elephant doesn't want to go there, <laughs> there's nothing that we can do to make the elephant go somewhere they don't want to go. Yes, I use the analogy of the iceberg. You, you, our conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg, but where mm-hmm. does the iceberg go? That's the mass below the water. And mm-hmm. if we don't pay attention to what's below the water, below that conscious mind, then how would we determine our direction? So uh, just at a higher level, what are some things that help people gain more access to that lower level and and maybe start to shift things, even if it's just becoming aware uh, of, of what's really going on? Hands down, it's meditation. Yeah. Uh, meditation is a, as a form of self-observation. Mm-hmm. Journaling is another open form when you start um, journaling about things, emotions, or patterns that you start to notice. Um, usually, if you journal about certain things for a period of time, a week or two weeks, you start to see those subconscious patterns. Um, anything that brings the awareness of becoming more present. So whatever activity that for you to cultivate the quality of present. And by present means being physically and mentally in the same place. Uh-huh. So you're not checking out on the phone while you're sitting in the room in the doctor's room, but you're actually paying attention to everything that is happening. And one of the easiest way for, for anybody to do that is through connection with your body. Because your body is constantly present. Your body cannot really wonder. Your mind can. So within your mind, you can go and, and time travel and do different tricks. Body is always present. So if you start paying attention to the body consciously, noticing the tensions. At the workplace, what do we usually do? We sit in the computers. We are on our phones. Everything is crumbled up. Our stomachs are tied because we're sitting. We're crunching. So consciously starting expanding, opening up the shoulders, realizing the tension, releasing it, realizing the tension on the face, releasing it, and and making it a practice, making it something that you create as a habit. And in the beginning, it requires like any habit, you know, setting up the alarms. You know, yeah. how are you feeling now? relax your shoulders, whatever that is for you is self-observation. That's why meditation, I say it's number one powerful tool because it, it teaches us the skill of self-observation. We don't value it anymore because we're so crunched on time any, all the time. We're, we're rushing to the next thing. 
But if we invest the time to develop the skill of self-observation, which leads to self-mastery, we are going to become better professionals, better human being, better parents, better, better everything. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I think this next scene will be familiar to a lot of families. A bit subtle, so she doesn't notice. So, how was the first day of school? She's probing us. I'm done. You pretend to be Joy. What? Okay. Um, hmm. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. Something is definitely going on. She's never acted like this before. What should we do? We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Ahem. With a nice pass over the reef, comes across that right. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? Ugh, he's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, are you kidding me? For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Boo, I'll be joy. School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? Oh. Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude. Okay. No, 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 no. Stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. Now. The foot is down. The foot is down. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. So, Oksana, what's your reaction to uh, seeing that? Well, this is um, this is my actually non mindfulness in action, and the the reason why I like this episode, it also shows the connection with emotional intelligence. And you had a fantastic episode of an emotional intelligence earlier, which I encourage everyone to listen to. Oh, thank you. Um, so m mindfulness, um, mindfulness is only applicable when we can apply it in action, just like everything. And here is an example of people mind wandering or not being able to control their emotions and react in the present moment because there is no training or there's just emotional disconnect sometimes that happens. So the husband is clearly checking out or mind wandering, and this is a clear representation what in fact we do almost 50% of the time. We're not where we are, we're not paying attention, and that creates conflict and communication, that creates miscommunication um, at the workplace, in the families, between social circles. Um, so the practice of mindfulness could help resolve some of those situations and uh, by, by simply being more aware of what people are saying and, and being more tuned into their emotional states. 
You know, one thing I've really noticed, and, you know, connection is, is kind of an area with, that, that I'm fascinated in. People notice when you're not there. I mean, they're not stupid, or even if they are stupid, they don't have to be smart. Like our, our, our minds, our brains are very observant. And we can tell when someone cares about us, when someone's somewhere else, it, it, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure that out. And I feel like that lack of mindfulness, that lack of being with the person you're in front of uh, is, is really damaging. Even if it doesn't come out right away, I, I feel like cumulatively, it can really damage your relationship with others, whether it's at work, or at home, um, what, what have you found with your clients and, and through your work? Uh, what are some of the issues that come up? Well, I work a lot with the leadership level, um, the entrepreneurs and business owners, and quality of presence and cultivating the skill of quality of presence. Because with distraction and the technology, it's not like we don't want to be present. Because if there is something interesting in front of you, um, you're all in. It's the times where we label things as uninteresting to us or we label things as we know them already. So it's the matter of finding genuine curiosity into what is in front of you and how to do that. So altering your mental narrative about what's going on in front of you. And through that, cultivating that quality of presence where you're not pretending like you are interested, you are genuinely interested in another person. You are um, fully invested into being with them. And as I said, the skill has been lost because of all the distractions that we are facing. And it's the matter of putting the practice in again. And just like we learned to walk one time is relearning um, or I guess not relearning because it's inherently within us. It's rediscovering that skill and reconnecting and being intentional about it, knowing why you're doing it. And one of the one of the qualities of uh, or benefits for the companies um, implementing mindfulness at the workplace is the quality of collaboration, communication, vulnerability between the, the leader and the team, um, between the leadership team and within the employee circle. Now, you've used the word curiosity uh, a few times when you're talking, and I find that really fascinating because I think what happens a lot is you know, culturally, uh, a lot of us are thought to be very individualistic, right? You know, rely on yourself, depend on yourself. If you work hard and have the right work ethic, you can be, you know, number one, being number one is best. And so we're almost indoctrinated to think of ourselves as sort of independent from everyone else. And, And that makes you in a way not as curious about other people because you see yourself as somewhat separate from other people rather than us all kind of being part of one, I mean, you know, not to get corny, but humanity or, or one, so like how we all, how all of what we do really impacts each other. And it's not just about me. I'm totally separate from you, whether we're in the same room talking to each other uh, or not. Do, do those sorts of concepts sort of come up in your, um, in your teaching? Absolutely. Um, Being individualistic is one of the roots of the problem um, for the levels of stress and anxiety and depression that we're experiencing right now on the global level. Um, From one side, uh, it was relevant. It created 
a lot of opportunities and entrepreneurship for people. And that's why America is great as it is, um, is that individualistic approach. However, there must be balance. Um, you cannot just think about me and I. That brings the ego to the levels where it's pretty much unstoppable and we start to identify with the material things in the essence of the world and the physical plane more than what actually fulfills us as individuals. We are also um, energetic beings. We are emotional beings. And disregarding our inherent desire to connect with others, this is one of our human needs, is the connection for others. And when we pay attention too much to our ego, we jeopardize that need because they're in direct conflict. You cannot be individualistic and genuinely connect to someone. Mm -hmm. So that must be balanced, just like everything. Um, we're no longer um, in the survival. We're no longer, at least the majority of the world, and not at wars where the individual survival was relevant. So now it's time for that global connection, socially responsible businesses, um, um, cultivating human relations at work, being vulnerable as a leader. And that's what is the new competitive advantage. The companies that embrace those principles and those concepts are the future leaders and those would be um, benefiting the customers themselves in the long run and their employees. Yeah, mindfulness is a competitive advantage. I really like that. <laughs> Sometimes uh, a teacher can learn as much from their students uh, as their students learn from them. So let's take a look. Sir, they can cut the chain off the door, but they can't make us play. We've decided we're gonna finish what you started, sir. Yeah, so leave us be, coach. We got to do, sir. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Thank you, sirs. All of you. What can we learn from this scene, Oksana? Well, this is a beautiful example of what more mindfulness and meditation offer. Usually, People get drawn to these tools because of the stress relief, the healthcare benefits, um, the connection um, between the people. 
What it offers, though, on a deeper level is that deep spiritual connection to your own meaning of life and your own needs, that understanding who you are and what is the purpose, what is the purpose of life, where, why, why we're all here. And it's not coming from intellectual knowledge. It's not something that I can tell you and you'll get it. Um, it's something that you start to experience within yourself, within your heart, when you start connecting to yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. And in this particular clip, which I absolutely love, I love the whole movie, is, um, is the concept that um, we all have the, the dark and the, and the bright side of our personalities. And it's the matter of figuring out how to make your dark sides a little brighter, but accepting the full you so then you can shine and be authentic with yourself at the same time, enlightening others with your presence, gifting them with your attention and sharing who you are open heartedly. And that is something that I think nowadays world could share a little more, especially we, we hide behind the technology, we hide behind social media, being afraid to express the brilliance that we all have. We're all individual expressions. There is no one else like us. Each, each one of us is inherently unique and it's important to get connected to that uniqueness and take pride of it, not trying to be like someone else. Um, and that takes practice, that takes courage, that takes that, what they were talking about, overcoming that fear of playing small. As much as we want to succeed and achieve, we also play it down and we, we try to be smaller than we really are. So it's that expansion, expression, and, um, and figuring out, figuring out what, what are your um, light sides and what are your gifts and falling in love with yourself again and again. Yeah, I, I really like that. And, and two things that, uh, that you said that, that I thought while, while you were talking is, is one that, you know, when you can really figure out what that is, when, when you can take the time to figure out what that is and, and access that and sort of live that throughout your life, that is so powerful. And you were saying shining the light. And, and that really comes from really believing in what you're doing and knowing that it's aligned with your purpose. That's, that's such a powerful thing. And, and the other thing that you made me think of was it is kind of safe to be in a bottle or a box, right? For, for a time being, you can't always go everywhere at once, but what the, the problem with being in a box or a bottle is it, it's, it's limited. And sometimes you start to grow and outgrow that box, but it's much safer for us to stay in the box because you go out the box and you're not sure what's, you know, what's beyond the box. Um, I, I just find that a very interesting sort of perspective that you have that, you know, we can do that by really figuring out what we're doing. Well, um, the two points are kind of connected together. The way I view it, when you can connect to the essence of who you are, that becomes the strongest energy resource. Yes. Uh, we're all striving for energy. It's everything around us is energy. It's give and take. So when you're able to identify that uniqueness about you, that passion and your drive, that becomes the strongest energy resource. Even when you are tired, even when you didn't have a meal, when you didn't sleep, that essence, we've all been there. Mm -hmm. It's just something that you can call upon at will. It's that practice of using that state of flow, understanding yourself on demand. And that unites to 
the second aspect that you said, sometimes um, the box is not something that we choose. It could be the environmental box. It could be your family that is holding you back, your culture, your country, your environment. And that's why going back to the beginning of our conversation, traveling and experiencing other people's lives, opinions, cultures, that helps train that skill of um, going out of the box. And it doesn't have to be physical presence nowadays. Is is watching documentaries. It's experiencing reading books about other cultures, doing something new that you have not done before and expanding those boundaries and making it a practice, making it a practice to go out of the comfort zone. So on the next time, that little heart heartbeat that when you do something un, unusual for yourself, it becomes lesser. It's like a muscle. You are yeah. able to take in more. And life always presents grander challenges and we are only as big as our problems. So the bigger the problems mean the grander you're becoming. (laughs) I love it. All right. That's a great segue into our next and last clip. So you ever notice how life and death situations seem to really bring things into focus? Strength and honor. Strength and honor. At my signal, unleash hell. my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. You find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead. (laughs) Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. So, Oksana, what are your thoughts on this clip? This is a beautiful presentation of mindful leadership. This is something that I work on with business leaders and executives to embody in the way we approach life and work. Um, the groundiness. I, I love this movie. The, the Gladiator is just a fantastic yeah. movie. I watched it, I don't know, many times. And it's really timeless because of the qualities that he represents. 
Um, it's the groundiness, um, absolute self-mastery, his emotional and mental state always clear. He's the same everywhere. When he was a general and when he was a slave, he was the same, um, he had the same values and he carried these values in the same way. So it's that consistency that we are looking for in the leadership and in our life that we don't need to switch between multiple personalities. We know who we are. We're connected with ourselves. And it's, if, we, if we truly do that, it becomes applicable in all case scenarios. Um, the second aspect is the humor. Uh, we take life sometimes a little too serious. And um, I, I've seen a lot of mindfulness teachers that it, it's really like long faces and it's all serious. <laughs> and you must practice and respect the practice. And I take it, yeah, this I mean, I don't have anything against I actually use the hand gestures. I think it's very cool. Um, but the, just the daunting aspect, self-discovery, it's not a daunting process. Mm -hmm. Meditation is not a boring had-to-do chore. We need to change our perspective on how do we approach practice and life in general. Um, life is a play. Life is a joy. Otherwise, what's the point? I just refuse to believe that life is for us to be boring and work and accumulate and um, just run around pretending like we're super busy and that's the most important thing. Um, it's it's taking taking it with more lightness and the way he humors death is uh, is definitely the way that we should consider um, our own approach to life and work and relationship. Um, and uh, he said it um, at the end that what the way we live our lives echoes in eternity. When we are able to cultivate the, the, the states of joy, the states of presence, the states of gratitude, these are timeless values. They're not stamped. They're not, they would never expire. Happiness. Remember yourself laughing the last time? Was it like, oh my God, time, like I cannot laugh this much. It's just flows. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's the goal for all the practices and, and what I teach the people. The, 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 if there is a goal, because it's actually a journey and it's a process, but people always like, what's the goal? How do I win this whole mindfulness thing, right? <laughs> so I say you win it by being more happy. You win it by, by feeling well, um, experiencing life and bright colors and really enjoying who you are and not taking it all so serious and be able to um, stop whenever you feel that it's the time and continue whenever you need that you feel that you need to persevere. So I am totally sold on everything you're saying. I agree with it 100%. Let me ask sort of what I feel is a key question. When you see a lot of times people moving up in the ranks of leadership. And maybe as they were beginning at, as as they were beginning, they were more grounded and they had that sense of joy and that, you know, servant leadership, you know, towards the people that they worked with and things were great. What people see happening a lot that it's almost a stereotype is people go higher, they kind of lose some of that, right? And and they shift and and their personality or their outlook almost changes. Um, what do you think is going on there in terms of either mindfulness or, or other dynamics that could cause someone who maybe perhaps at one point was one way and, and as they move up the ranks, they, they, they drastically change? Oh, it's interesting you're asking this question as I was uh, just reading this last couple of days, um, the Harvard Business Review book on authentic leadership. And I completely agree with the views there that there are two, mostly generally two types of 
people. And uh, when we get more power or when our responsibility grows, um, there's two types. One is chameleon, meaning that they could um, evolve and change their leadership style without feeling fake. They just take it as I'm testing new things, I'm adjusting to the current scenario, and I'm progressing with the situation. And then there are fixed leaders that they achieve that promotion or that project because of their set traits, because they were productive or they were performing well. And they decided that at no cost they could change those traits because that will jeopardize the promotion. So they're becoming less adaptable and less flexible. And they feel fake if they change, if they start to progress and alter their, their style. So the key here is, number one, becoming aware. And that is the training of mindfulness, of focus and awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, um, the, the, the team, the members, the environment will give that feedback. And in such case, it's cultivating the beginners, the learning mentality, where you take it as this is not the progression of where I was. This is a new task. This is a new plane. This is a new beginnings. How can I adapt and adjust to it? Um, and these are, these are skills that overcoming the fear, um, being, uh, being honest with yourself, first of all, because a lot of times we just kid ourselves on what needs to be done and how things need to be done. So it's having those open and honest conversation within yourself and it all boils down to time, finding the time to reflect, finding the time to estimate, finding the time to talk to people. A lot of times we are not using the most direct tool, which is our uh, employees or or peers to ask them um, for feedback, for recommendations. How do I do? And that all requires courage and awareness. Yeah, I think you answered sort of the last question I wanted to ask you because it's been something, a current that's been running um, throughout our conversation, which is, you know, why don't people... um, self-reflect more, right? Whether it's through mindfulness training or meditation, why is the tendency so much to not ever be able to pause and just reflect and journal or whatever it is? It's just to keep going, 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 going. Um, what, what is it uh, that you see that kind of stops us from doing something which, which would be very useful for all of us, I believe? It's the momentum. It's the momentum of technology that we've created. Um, the, the, again, going back to the conditioning that we believe that more and faster is better. Um, and unfortunately, for the majority of people, it would only take some kind of drastic event to yeah. snap out of it. Um, it's the nature of humanity, the nature of, of being human, I guess, is not paying attention and continuing with the momentum and unless something drastic happens, um, my my hope and and sincere desire is to give people the wake up call and address those issues before anything major happens, and give them the opportunity to to have that choice. And to my delight, there are plenty of people that um, that take on these practices because they feel something, they feel the change, they feel the benefits. And it's the matter of consistency. It's consistent practice, consistent follow up. That's why when I work um, with company with companies, um, my preferred method is actually long term commitment, because then we can really start addressing those subconscious beliefs. Why do people not change? 
the, the culture, the environment. Um, it usually it starts with the leadership. Yes, they want to implement mindfulness in the workplace, but then they don't really find it appropriate for people to take 10 minutes for a break. I'm like, well, yeah. how is that going to work together? <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to be all mindfully stressed? Yeah. <laughs> such thing. Um, so it's, it's really understanding that it's not one thing. It's the combination of the things. Mm-hmm. It's the internal environment, the internal belief, the mental, physical conditioning. And then it's the external environment that um, either enhances or stops us from, from being one way or the other. And uh, it's important to address on, on different levels and, and look into multiple perspectives of how to bring it back into the balance. Well, thank you. You've given me something to think about. Oksana, it's been a real treat to talk to you and hear your expertise on mindfulness. What things are you working on right now and how can our audience get in touch with you? Well, the, the pleasure is all, was all mine. I'm delighted to share and um, connect with your audience. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, currently, I'm few hours away from launching um, Mindfulness Online platform where we've recorded practices. So it's a practical platform for people to, that, especially companies and people that already went through initial introduction, initial workshop, or people that understand the value of mindfulness and meditation. These are practices um, for individuals and teams to be able to practice at work and at home and take those, um, take the benefits to the next level. Um, I'm also in the process of writing a book that's TBA. I'm not sure when that would come out, cannot rush the muse. So, um, but in general, uh, the website satvami, S-A-T-T-V-A dot M-E, uh, it has all the resources. It will have the link and connection to online platform. Um, it does already. And uh, everything that I put together, whether it's events or engagement, like with yourself, I keep it on the website. And in addition, all the standard social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Twitter, um, it's the same Nick Satva, me and my personal name. So connect on both. Great. And I'll include all that in our show notes. Thank you, Oksana, Thank for you. sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you so much, Joe. Like Breathing In and Breathing Out, a great book to go with this podcast is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics by ABC News anchor Dan Harris. Learn how an on-air panic attack led Dan to a lifelong journey of improved mindfulness. To receive a free copy of Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash whyitworks. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash whyitworks for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment and become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. That's www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.